And I think that that's the case for several reasons. The first reason I think that's the case is because we live in a culture that brings up and is built around relationships. I mean, it's all over our culture. In fact, if you go to iTunes right now and look at the top 10 songs on the iTunes charts right now, uh, more than half of those songs are about relationships, being in a relationship, being in love, or finding love. It's almost like our culture is addicted to it. In fact, sometimes you can hear it so much that you feel as if there's something wrong with you or something's missing if you're not in a relationship. And the second reason that I think that this, this subject brings up so many questions and inspires such a buzz in the conversation among students and, uh, and, and, and leaders and, and all that stuff when we get into these type of series, the second big reason, I think, is because uh, relationships are exciting. They're exciting. When you get into a relationship and, and you like somebody and you have feelings for somebody, it's like, it's like an adrenaline rush. In fact, the science shows that being and getting into a relationship has a similar effect on you as actually doing drugs. So true. That literally, literally in your brain, when you begin to get into a relationship, your brain releases what's called dopamine. And it is like you're on dope. It's the same stuff your brain releases when you're on drugs. And you know what it's like when people get into a relationship. It is like they get into a relationship and it is almost literally like they're on drugs. It's like all of a sudden they kind of go crazy and they start doing things that they typically never would do beforehand. And, and, they, and, and, they, and, and this is what I call it. They, they get what I call the googlies. You know what I'm talking about? You see a girl and a guy start getting in a relationship, like they like float across the room. There's always, did you say cotton candy face? Cupcake face. They, well, I don't know what that means, but sounds good to me. And uh, there's always a smile on their face. You know, they're, 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 you know they're, and, and they start taking on the mannerisms of the person that they're starting to get into a relationship with. And, and then they start finishing each other's sentences, which is extremely annoying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's just kind of weird. Like, stop that, please. And, and what I've found is, and you've heard probably the quote before, that people do dumb things in their love. What I've found is people do dumb things in their love. Like, like for example, um, this guy named Jordan. Jordan, I'm not even going to. His name is Jordan Cadella. Jordan Cadella's girlfriend broke up with him. Everybody say, oh. And he, he had the googlies for, for this young little senorita, and he wanted to get her back. So this was his plan. He asked his best friend, his BFF, if he would shoot him three times with a gun. Yes. So that when he went to the hospital, his girl would feel sorry for him and come and he could get her back. Now being, <laughs> now being the good friend that his best friend was, his best friend says, sounds good to me. So they go to the park. And they get to the park, and he pulls the gun out. He aims it at Jordan, and he shoots Jordan in the arm. 
When he shoots Jordan in the arm, Jordan spins around, he hits the ground, he's screaming, writhing in pain. His friend freaks out, decides not to shoot him the other two times, thank God, gets him in the car, takes him to the hospital. Not only did he not get any sympathy or his girlfriend back, but she did not even come and visit him in the hospital. And to make, (laughs) yeah, good for her, what an idiot. And to make matters worse, to make matters worse, not only did she not go see him in the hospital, but... The police came to see him in the hospital, and he got charged with a crime and had to go to jail after he got out. So, uh, so yeah. Apparently, uh, shooting, uh, organizing a shooting in the park is not a good idea. Now, that's extreme, and, and, probably, uh, and probably you would never do anything that dumb for a relationship. But how many of you guys know people who have done dumb things when they get in relationships? Right? How many of you have friends that have done dumb things in relationships? How many of you are sitting beside your friend that has done dumb things in relationships? I, I, that's messed up, man. That's messed up. That's messed up right there. Call each other out. And this is what happens. What happens and what I've noticed is, is that oftentimes... Oftentimes when young people, and it's not even just young people, but when people get in a relationship and they get the googlies and all common sense goes out the window, they, they even begin changing who and how they are. Right? You ever had that friend and all of a sudden they get in a relationship like, dude, I don't even know them anymore. Like their identity begins to get wrapped up into this relationship, right? And you almost have this conversation with your friends like, dude, we need to have like an intervention. Like we need to pull her aside and have an intervention with her like you would with somebody on drugs. And you would have this intervention. And then what happens? Then her or him, the relationship breaks up and they're devastated and they're crying and they can't eat and they can't sleep. And they're, they're upset because their whole world has come crashing down because they've built their identity fully around this relationship. And relationships give us this up and down flow in our life that make us just begin uh, to just to be intrigued by them. And so we ask these questions, it creates this buzz. And students, here's the truth. The truth is, as I reflect back on the short 33 years of my life, some of the greatest times, some of the best times, some of the most fun things that I've ever done in my entire life have been as a result of being in a relationship. But not only that, some of the greatest pain that I've ever experienced in my life has been a result of relationships. And students, here's the truth. Relationships are powerful. They're powerful. They're serious. In fact, I've seen some of the greatest men that I know fall because they could not navigate and did not learn how to manage relationships with a girlfriend, with a boyfriend, with a, with a spouse. I have seen some of the sharpest, coolest high school students that I know walk away from church, walk away from God, walk away from their families, walk away from everything significant in their life. Because they were not mature enough and did not know how to handle relationships. Relationships are powerful. And God knows this. 
God knows it, and because he knows it, God does not, does not leave us without some instruction about them. God is not silent when it comes to relationships. In fact, God speaks a lot on relationships and how to navigate them and how we're supposed to interact in those relationships before marriage and how we're supposed to interact in relationships even when we are married. Because relationships are important to God. And if you're taking notes and you got your, your, your notes there with you, the first point that I want to point out to you tonight that I think is true and, and what I want to kind of, where I want to kind of go tonight is I want to point out two major truths about relationships tonight that I think every person in this room needs to get, and that's this. The first one is this. God takes relationships seriously. God takes relationships seriously. See, see, what happens oftentimes is when we think about relationships, we think about them as like our part of our life, that this isn't a sacred thing, that this is just something that we do. We don't view it as that God is actually interested, and not only interested, but also involved in the relationships that we're in and has conversations with us in his word about how we're to navigate those things. And so that gets us in trouble. And God takes these relationships seriously. In fact, I want you to feel the weight of this from God's perspective. I want you to feel the weight of it from God's perspective. God, as the, God gives this picture as the highest form of intimacy ordained by him as the marriage between a husband and a wife. And then he shows the husband and wife relationship as the picture of the relationship that exists between Jesus and the church. Jesus as the groom and the church as the bride. This beautiful picture. God could have used any picture that he wanted to use in the entire world. He could have used any visual of any type of relationship or any type of thing that he wanted. And he chose to use the relationship, the marriage, between a husband and a wife to show the picture of the great love, the unconditional, unquenchable love that God has for us, his bride, the church, and the unconditional submission and love that we have as the bride to the father to jesus as our groom man that's heavy that's the picture that god gives us god takes this thing seriously and this is what i found we live in a culture where people move from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship. We treat casually the heart of someone else. We treat men, we treat casually the heart of the daughters of God. M women, we treat casually the heart of the sons of God. And we, when we begin to treat casually the heart of the people that we're with for our own selfish gain and for our own selfish reasoning, and then when that person is not putting out whatever putting out is uh, to meet whatever need, selfish need that we have in that relationship, or they're not lining up with the things that we want because relationships in our culture are so selfish and me-centered, then we say, no big deal, I'll just move on to the next relationship. And God is going, hold on a second. I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. Why are you settling for this 
casual way when I have something that is so meaningful, so deep, so amazing for you, if you would just lean in. Relationships are powerful and God takes them seriously. And if we're to take a 30,000 foot view of the scripture and look at relationships that we have with each other, I think the core of it starts right there. It starts right there. Last week, I talked to you about what it means to be the right person. In fact, one of the things that I said last week was is that, is that I said, who you are before you date is who you will be when you date. That if you lie to your parents, then chances are honesty is an issue for you, and, and that's going to be an issue for you in your marriage, that you need to get that stuff right with God before you get into a relationship. If you lie to your parents, you'll lie to your friends, you'll lie to your, your significant other. That who you are before you date, so you'll be when you date. And I said this, you need to stop asking the question, who is the right person, and start asking the question, how can I become the right person? Because what I've found is, is that when you become the right person and you mature in Christ, then you then have the lenses to see who the right person you need to be going after looks like and you also become desirable and attractive to the right person because the right person doesn't want to be with you until you become the right person. Amen? That's the truth. And that's what we talked about last week. This week... I want to steer in the other direction. Last week we talked about becoming the right person. This week I want to talk to you about what does it look like for the per- what does the right person look like? Like what are the qualities that the right person has? And I think that there's a list of those qualities. I think there are many things that the right person should possess and have, and the Bible mentions many of those things, but I think that there is one thing that all of the other qualities fall under. One heading, one thing that every other quality that exists, and I will bring that back in the person, in the right person, that they must have. And so if you're taking notes, truth number two, and we're going to dive into it, is this. Here it is. He or she must get God before he or she gets you. Ladies, he must get God before he gets you. And men, she must get God before she gets you. Think about it. We can go right to the Bible. You don't even have to go but a page page into the Bible and you see Adam. God creates Adam, and he, and he places Adam in the garden, the chief of his creation, man, created in the image of God. He, he allows Adam to name all of the animals, and he puts him in this garden with this perfect peace and perfect harmony. But he says to Adam in chapter 2, it is not good for man to be alone. That Adam couldn't find a suitable companion, and so God gives Adam Eve. And this is what's fascinating about this scripture, and I want you to hear this. Adam got God before Adam got Eve. Adam was content in his relationship with God. He was walking with God in the garden before Adam got Eve. The interesting thing is, is that God is the one who steps up and says, Adam could find no suitable companion. God is the one who steps up and says, it's, it's, I, I need to provide for him, Eve. Adam is not the one who saw the need. God saw the need because Adam was content in his relationship with God. You must get God. He must get God. She must get God 
before he or she gets you. This is so incredibly important. Early on in my faith, I gave my life to Christ as a senior in high school. And I began to walk with Jesus, and I didn't know what that meant. And like my, my past, my lifestyle before was, you know, partying and, and drugs and, and drinking and, girl, and just all the things that just like high school life brings with it. And, and I thought would bring me like fulfillment, and I was living in that mess. And then, and then God changed my life, and I'd never experienced the joy of Christ. I'd never experienced full love and, and meaning like I felt when God radically changed my life. And I began to grow in him, but I was a new believer, and I was rough around the edges, and, and I was still trying to figure a lot of stuff out. And I, early on, I got into a relationship with a girl who, who was an unbeliever. She didn't, she didn't believe in Jesus. She, she didn't have God. And listen, we had everything in common. She was athletic. I was athletic. She, she loved the outdoors. I loved the outdoors. She was gorgeous. I am obviously. It was a match made in heaven. We had everything in common. And, and, and I remember that like we would hang out and, and we would spend time together. And I was like, man, this is great. But something was missing. And I couldn't figure it out. I was, I, was, I was like, man, we have everything in common, but it, it doesn't feel like we have anything in common. And something was missing, and there was this wrestling within my soul. And one day, God hit me with it. Everything that you have in common with this girl is superficial. And what I find is, is that most students, most people, Spend most of their life looking for qualities in other people that are superficial. And that's what I was doing. See, every decision, every thought, every action in my life was influenced by the fact that Jesus was at the core of my life. And Jesus was not only not at the core of her life, but Jesus was not even present in her life. That we shared all of these things in common, but the most important thing in my life we did not share in common. If you're taking notes, write this down. You can have everything in common, but if you don't have Jesus in common, you have nothing in common. Now, I know what you're thinking, man. That's old school. Come on, Derek. That's old school. Like, like, you don't really believe that, do you? Well, the Bible teaches that. Well, the Bible's 2,000 years old. Come on, man. Like, you really believe the Bible's true? Oh, I do believe the Bible's true. And the Bible says this, that 1,000 years are but a day to the Lord. So 2,000 years ago was like two days to God. God does not live inside of space and time. God is omniscient, knows past, present, and future. God knows the day you're going to die. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows all the numbers of the hairs on the head of every person's room all added together, and he doesn't even need a calculator. That is the awesomeness and the bigness of who God is, and you can't grasp that because your little finite pea brain cannot grasp an infinite God, and that's okay. You don't have to. But here's the truth. Here's the truth, students. The Bible tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's not silent on this. In fact, that phrase I just told you isn't my phrase. It's God's phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Paul, the Apostle Paul, got inspired by God, 
writing the word of God, the direction of the Holy Spirit, writes to us what I just told you. He writes a little differently, but I want you to see that it is exactly what I just said. And this is what he says if you're, you're taking, we also have it up there on the screen. <clears throat> Here it is. He says this, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. Do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. Basically, this is what that means. It means do not be joined together with, knitted together with, united to an unbeliever when it comes to a relationship. Don't be yoked together. Now, this is a this is an agricultural uh, uh, center and a time of, of of history where every person was was uh, you know. Had, had a farm, had land, they grew their crops, they, they had their own, you know, ways of, of, of food, and so they didn't go to the grocery store, things like that, they would go trade at the market, things like that, and so, and so when Jesus says, do not be yoked together, everyone understood what that means, we don't use that word yoke together anymore, because we're not, we, we, we don't yoke things together that often, but every person under the sound of Jesus' voice would have understood immediately what he was talking about. In fact, I got a picture of a couple oxen yoked together. A yoke is this wooden beam with the thing that attaches these two, these two ox together, these two uh, big old bulls together. And here's, the, here's what's cool about this. He's saying, he's saying, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. A person understanding this during this culture would understand that you need these cows to be yoked together so that they could pull the plow behind them. And it's important that their gait stays the same, meaning their stride stays the same, so that it doesn't mess up what you're doing in the field. And so no one would ever take like a, an ox and, and, and yoke it together with a donkey. No one would ever do that. Everyone understood that. And when Jesus says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, basically what he's saying is, is that just like you would never yoke together an ox with a donkey, you, would ne- you should never yoke together someone who does not know Christ with someone who does. Then he goes on and he says, in case you didn't get it with that word image, I'm going to continue on. Then he says this, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? They're antonyms, they're opposite of one another. There's a sort of this idea that immediately you see that he's saying there's nothing that they have in common. So for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Nothing. Or what fellowship can light and darkness have? Nothing. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What harmony is there with Christ and a foreign God? There is no harmony because the foreign God is a false God and Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no harmony between them. And then he says, but, and, and then he closes with, what does a believer, listen, have in common with an unbeliever? And notice in this passage, he uses in common three times. Basically, what he's saying here is, is that you can have everything in common, but if you don't have Jesus in common, then you have nothing in common. Here's the picture that he's given. The weight of knowing Jesus, the weight of a relationship with him, is so great, so big, and so important in a dating relationship and in a relationship that you have with someone that all of the other qualities, the sum of all of the other qualities added together fades in the background in comparison to the grandeur of knowing Christ. 
that them being funny, them being attractive, them being smart, them being whatever, make the list up. The sum of all of those things in comparison to the grandeur of the greatness of what it means to know Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in that person, that stuff fades in the background and disappears in comparison. That there is no comparison. That's what he's saying. Because he understands us. God knows us better than we know us. God knows what this brings to a home and a family. God knows the destructive nature of what this looks like. Most of you have never seen this up close and personal, but I bet that if we sit down and had a conversation and you begin to share your life with me, I could point out different things in your life and you would be like, that makes total sense. I remember at the first church I was at as a youth pastor, as a part of the service, they would allow people to come down to the altar and have a prayer time. And all of these, and all these people would come down to the altar during this time of the service and other people, People from the congregation would come down and they would pray over the, 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 the men, women, students, whatever, that were down at the altar and, and pray. It was a really cool moment inside of the service. And every single week for the five years I was at that church, there were four ladies that would come down to the altar every week, weeping, begging God to save their husbands and save their children. They experienced the grace of God. I talked to one of the ladies, I can remember all four of their names. I talked to one of the ladies one time and she was telling me, it breaks my heart that every week I ask my kids to come to church with me and they say, daddy doesn't have to go to church, why do I have to go to church? She said, listen, if you could tell young ladies one thing from me, tell them this. I thought I could get into a relationship with someone who did not believe the most important thing in my life because I was looking at all the other qualities. And I've paid the price ever since. Relationships are serious to God. And they should be serious to you. A couple weeks back, our senior pastor, Kevin Myers, Pastor Kevin, PK, we call him, if you're new to 12 Stone. PK is the man. In fact, I'd say this, if you, have, if you don't come on Sunday mornings, if you're not a part of our church on Sunday mornings, man, I would encourage you to come. Because, man, he, he's, an, he's an anointed man of God, loves Jesus, and, man, he could preach his freaking face off. If, you, if I ever say anything and you're like, man, that, that's pretty good, that makes sense. He's like 100 million times better than me at doing that, so... So if I ever say anything that makes sense, man, you need to listen to Pastor Kevin. And I love my pastor. And he was doing a message back in December, December 14th, uh, on Mary. And in the conversation, he was basically talking to the ladies. He was talking to the women. And the message was so powerful, so powerful. If you did not hear that message, go back on 12th Online and listen to that message. I mean, it is amazing. And I cut out just about a three-minute clip of something that he said in there that pertains to what we're talking about right now. And I want to show that to you here in a second. Now, this message he's given is to the ladies. But men, this message is extremely applicable to us as well. That everything he says to the ladies, men, just flip it around 
and figure out how that can apply and relate to you and your life and the truth that comes from God's word through it. Now, what I, would, what I want to set it up for you a little bit, he's talking about Mary and how Mary determined early on, even before she ever met Joseph, even before she ever had Jesus, she had determined early on that God was going to be the priority in her life, that she was going to put God before a guy. And this is a part of that message. I just want to show you three minutes of it, and then we're going to close out here in a second. Check this out. And in the midst of this, I think, Mary, if anybody has a chance to step up and say, I I had to choose who and what I would treasure. I think Mary has earned that. She was very young when she determined that she would treasure God over a guy. And as I sat with the ten women, chatted with my wife, sat inside this story, I think it's true that it's a modern-day temptation for women to put a guy before God. And the cure, the solution, <laughs> is to find your, your sense of security, identity, and somebody in God first. And if you find that in God first, then you won't have to get that from a guy. You won't even have to get that from your husband. If, if you will find that in God first, if you will find your identity, if you will find your security, if you will find your sense of somebody wrapped up in who God is and who he made you to be, you won't have to go get that from a guy. And when you have to get that from a guy, you become desperate. And desperate is blind And desperate usually does dumb. And we see it all over the place in our culture. And we know it's true. We just hardly talk about it. Now, some women are going to say, I would would never find my identity security in a guy. I know no better than that. You've moved on to something else. But some of you find your security, your identity, and sense of somebody in your body. And the culture celebrates that and encourages it. Or find your identity and sense of somebody in your career. Or find it in your possessions. The point being, I think Mary would tell us, is anything other than in God is going to leave you soul empty. In fact, I think she'd step up and say, listen, you are a child of the king. A daughter of the king, which makes you his princess. Don't be anybody else's princess first. His princess first. You settle that in your soul and you will have amazing freedom in this world. You don't. And often unknowingly, your desperate will cost you greatly. Even in this conversation I had among the ten, including my wife, a lot of open dialogue, if not confession, that even in married life, there was the discovery, even as Christians married to some good Christian men, this was not resolved until many years into marriage. Where do you find your identity, your security, your sense of somebody? Because the only constant in your life is going to be God. Know this. Mary would reveal, listen, early on, the one who knew her best was her God. And before she ever met Joseph and had the arrangement, God was with her. And God was with her all the years that she was with Joseph. But if you know her story, you know that sometime by her 40s, she was widowed. And she watched her son, Jesus, suffer through the crucifixion without Joseph at her side. But God was with her. 
The only constant in her life was God. He's the only constant in yours. You better find your identity, your security, and sense of somebody in the only constant that you will have in life. Or it creates a desperate. And many of us hide the desperate. Many of us are not even aware of it. So good. Yes. One of the things he said in there is he said this. He says, he says, be his princess first. Be his princess first. Here's the deal. I could give you guys all types of qualities that you should look for in a guy, that you should look for in a girl. I could get into the Bible and say this, you know, the Bible tells us, man, this and that and whatever, and, and show you all of those different things. And I could get up here and say, man, listen, watch out for these things. Watch out for jealousy. Watch out for controlling. Watch out for anger. Watch out for the isolator. Watch out for the impure. Watch out for this, this, and this. And I could say, you need to find someone who is, is a woman of noble character. And I could point you to those scriptures and we can have that conversation. But at the end of the day, if your date, the person that you're with, gets Jesus at the core of their life, you don't have to worry about all of those other symptoms in their life. If you are maturing, growing, and deepening in Christ, you don't have to worry about a guy abusing you because a follower of Jesus and someone who is chasing after him and maturing in his walk in Christ will never put his hands on you because he knows the word and he knows Jesus and he knows that Jesus would never put his hands on someone else. That's the truth. That's the truth. And I just want to get a little more up in your grill right now, if you can permit me. I know what some of you are thinking, but I can fix them. And I will tell you that he better get a hold of God before you get a hold of him. Because you cannot fix a guy. Ladies, and I'm not saying this is a struggle for, not a struggle for men, but it is particularly a struggle for ladies. God has placed in you this mothering, nurturing instinct. And there was a time when that's going to come in handy for you, and it's going to be an amazing, awesome thing that is going to, that is going to uh, add so much value to your family and to your children and to your husband. But there's something about it, someone you see in need, someone you see hurting, someone you see who has baggage, and you feel like you need to be in that relationship. And I just want you to know, if you call yourself a believer and you love Jesus and you love God and you hold firm to his word, you will trust him when he says, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. This is not a concept. This is a command. It's a command. Now, I've had students ask me multiple times, many times over, how do I know if they love Jesus? How do I know if they're a Christian? And I would say, if you have to ask that question, that is probably your answer. Because if they love Jesus and are chasing after him, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder. Because they will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. 
they will talk about Jesus. In fact, just practically speaking, I put together five things to help you discern if you don't know how to discern whether someone is a follower of Christ or not when it comes to relationships and whether you should get into a relationship with them. And I think we might have them. I can put them up on the screen for you. The first one is this, and you write this down if you want to. The first one is this. Do they talk about their relationship with God? I remember the first time I met my wife, I told you that story last week, the first 30 minutes of our conversation was talking about Jesus and talking about our relationship with God and talking about the church we went to and talking about, you know, she was telling me her heart for discipleship and how much she loved just discipling people and discipling girls and high school girls. It was all about Jesus. I was in a conversation for 30 seconds with my wife, and I knew that she loved Jesus because she was talking about him. That is one way that you can know if someone has a relationship with Christ. The second thing is, do they spend time with Jesus? Do they talk about, man, you know, God's been teaching me this, or, hey, you know what, I'm reading through James right now, and God was showing me this the other day. Do they talk about this? Do they, do they spend time with Jesus? Third, has your relationship with this person encouraged you to be more like Jesus? Like, by spending time with this guy or by spending time with this girl, has it encouraged you to become more like Jesus? The fourth one, are the fruits of the Spirit evident in, in their life? You can go to Galatians 5 and see these and read them yourself. And love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. All of these things that are part of the fruits of the Spirit. Do these things exhibit in our life? And number five, are they protecting their purity and your purity? Are they protecting their purity and your purity? Are they pushing the boundaries in purity with you? And are they pushing the boundaries when they're in isolation by themselves when it comes to the area of purity? Which, by the way, when I talk about this, and I mention this every year because I just think it's a valid point. If your guy cannot keep his hands off of you in your dating relationship, what makes you think that he's going to keep his hands off of another girl in your married relationship? If he doesn't have the self-control to keep his hands off of you now, what makes you think that if the opportunity presents itself, if y'all got married, that he would have the self-control to not dabble in the other you know what I'm saying? The other playground. I'll leave it there. <clears throat> so what do we do? I'll close out with this. What do we do? We do two things. If I was to encourage you to do two things tonight, it would be this. The first, it would be to slow down. Be to slow down if you're taking notes. Get to know someone before you get into a relationship with them and ask them the question. Ask them the questions. And ask yourself the question. Do we have Jesus in common? Slow down. It's hard to slow down when you got the googlies. The googlies make you do dumb things and it makes you go much faster than you should go. And the second thing is this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Don't allow someone to have a piece of your heart that does not qualify. Don't allow someone to get a piece of your heart that is going to treat it casually. Don't allow someone to have a piece of your heart that is not going to treat you like the princess that God wants to treat you as or like the prince that God wants you to be treated as. 
The goal of dating is marriage, and God takes it seriously. And if I was to challenge you guys with something tonight out of this message, it would be with everything that you have, with all that you are, go deeper with Jesus so that you can see, so that you can know who that person would be. And so you would have the right discernment. Because as I mentioned to you, some of the best times of your life will be in relationship. But if you treat it casually, some of the most painful moments of your life, I promise you, will be in the context of relationship. Now tonight, we're going to have a little reflection time. We're going to do something a little different. Last week, or typically we do a bunch of songs up front. Tonight, we only did two songs up front. Some of you are like, man, that wasn't enough music. Like, what's going on, man? Like, I like to get, I was just get warmed up. So we're going to have the band come back up. And they're going to close us out. And here's the deal. I want you to know this, I want you to hear this, that the next couple of minutes, I don't want this to be like a moving around, like crazy, you know, talking, distracting time. I want this to be a personal focus time. Because at the end of the day, the core of what we talked about last week and the core of what we talked about this week is that Jesus must be at the core, whether that's the core of your life or the core of the life of the person that you want to be with. And I want to ask you to do some business with God tonight. Maybe there's some areas of your life as we've been having this conversation that you need to press into. And maybe all people in the back back there could pay attention for a minute, please. So, tonight I want you to press in and see what God would have for you. And we're going to blow the roof off this place. And I'm excited about it. And I'm not coming back up here after we're done, so I just want to say this to you. Next week, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen next week. But this is what I'll tell you. We have, we have titled next week, A Night You Will Never Forget. And the reason we titled it, A Night You Will Never Forget, is I promise you that when you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, you will say to your kids and your grandkids, I remember this one time our youth group did this. It will be a night that you will never forget next week. Now, if you've been around age 12 a while, you know that when we say we are going to do something and it's going to be cray-cray, we deliver. And next week is going to be cray-cray. Thank you. So next week, we're going to give you invite cards as you go out tonight, later on. We want you to invite as many people here next week as well. I promise you next week will be very meaningful. It will be very powerful, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I want to pray for you guys, and I want us just to enter into this time of just reflecting and seeking after the Lord. If you want to come up to the altar and find a place, place to pray, if you want to get a friend to come up with you and pray, we want to open the altar up. You know, like I told you, the, that church I was at, I want to open the altar. I don't want people to rush the stage to sing the songs and that kind of stuff. I want everybody to kind of hang back. Come to the altar and pray and seek God. Maybe you need some prayer and your friend will come up and pray for you or your leader will come and pray for you or something like that. I want you to do some business with God tonight. God, I just want to pray over these students. I thank you so much, God, for your goodness and your grace. I thank you so much that you give us, you give us the perfect picture 
perfect picture of your great love for us in marriage. And God, I know that many of us in this room are so far from thinking about marriage and who we're going to be with and all that kind of stuff. But God, it's right around the corner for them and they don't even realize it. And the decisions that they make now in relationships carry over. They will affect them. Our choices and our decisions always have consequences, good or bad. Father, I pray, Lord, for those students in this room that have been struggling. Maybe they've been struggling with purity. Maybe they've been struggling with identity. Maybe just that phrase, be his princess first, just resonating in their soul right now. No one's ever called me a princess. I don't even know what that feels like. I don't even know what that is like. God, I pray that tonight they would experience your love and your grace, your forgiveness. And Father, that this time would be meaningful. Not just for us, but that we would be able to pour back our gratitude to you for who you are. That we would submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to you. That we would learn that in submission and surrender and love towards you, we are actually learning how to be in submission and love towards one another. And ultimately, that affects all of our relationships. So God, move in our hearts tonight. Draw us near to you. May we never treat casually the things that you take seriously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.